Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, June 28th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. This week, Mercedes looks ahead to the planned freedom protests in the capital for Canada Day and what preparations are in place by local police to address the potential demonstrations this time around. Next, if you've been planning a summer getaway to Banff, you may have noticed a spike in prices when it comes to booking a hotel. We speak with the director of the Banff and Lake Louise Hospitality Association on what's behind the noticeable increases with some rooms charging close to $500 per night. What is upcycled food and how can it benefit both the economy and the environment? We dig into the topic with John Dushinsky, Executive Vice President of Antithesis Provision. And finally, could it be the startup that gives smartphone heavyweights Apple and Samsung a run for their money? We catch up with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni, for details on the new Nothing brand smartphone and what makes it unique. The main cornerstones of conservatism is law and order. And law and order is law and order. And illegal blockades are illegal blockades. And the full force of the law should be brought in to deal with them. And you can't block the city of Ottawa and say say that's okay, but it's not okay for some other group to block a railroad. And I'm very, very worried about um, what's happening to the party and what's happening during this leadership debate. Yes, that is a piece of Mercedes Stevenson's conversation with former Conservative Senate leader Marjorie LeBreton from this week's episode of The West Block. With more, we are joined by Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Good Tuesday morning to you, Mercedes. Hey, Andy. So let, let's break this down. We just heard a snippet there. You had the chance to talk with Marjorie LeBreton. What is her biggest concern about the state of the Conservative Party? I think that... Her biggest concern is the direction that the party's taking. And, and she feels that uh, law and order are sort of a, a primary perspective and that the convoy clearly broke the law. Um, and, and the convoy did break the law. The convoy occupied streets. Um, and there's people who choose to support that. But you have to accept that it, it was a breach of the law. Um, and for conservatives, it's highly unusual to support that. Um, so she's concerned about that. She's concerned about some of the people around the convoy, I think, and the tone that they were taking, uh, and what she called the grievance brigade, that, you know, they were saying it was about mandates, but there was a lot of other things it was about, too. And the impression that I got is that she was saying, you know, conservatives kind of used to be a party of nation builders, not people who were out complaining. So if you're going to be out complaining, have a plan for how you're going to make it better, and that she didn't see that plan, she didn't see that way forward. Um, It felt to me like she thought that people in the party were sort of uh, catering to extremes as a way to try to to get attention or votes, and that she thought that took it to a dangerous direction, um, not just in terms of sort of what some of those folks might be advocating, but also from an electoral perspective that when you look at the polls, um, that's not the thoughts of the majority of Canadians. And that if you want to be electable, then 
people have to find the things that you stand for to be values they share and believe in. And her concern was that as the party is taking some of these positions on the convoy, meeting with people from the convoy, uh, Candace Bergen saying that people in the Conservative Party, MPs in the caucus, are, are free to associate with these protests this summer, um, despite the fact the mandates have largely lifted that are still going on. Um, and I can tell you the city of Ottawa is sure bracing for another round of them at the end of this week. Um, that, you know, this is, is something um, that she says she doesn't recognize the Conservative Party. The Conservatives were very critical, for example, when Indigenous groups blocked rail uh, railways. Um, and that's what you heard in your clip where she said, yeah. well, look, if you're going to say that blocking the downtown of a major city is okay when you don't disagree with something or you feel your rights are being violated, then you can't be against another group thing doing or, or saying that same thing. Um, and that opens a lot of doors to things that are now okay that conservatives didn't believe were okay before, and it potentially jeopardizes your chance of being elected if most Canadians um, statistically are looking at that and saying, I might agree with the sentiment of frustration, but I don't agree with how you're executing on it, um, that, that that will simply make the party unelectable or completely fracture it back into two parties where you see something like what used to be progressive conservatives in the reform party she said she thinks that great accommodation that was reached between peter mckay and stephen harper um and people forget stephen harper was a reformer he, he wasn't a progressive conservative uh but he became much more kind of centrist after he took the helm of the party um and while he was very fiscally conservative he stayed away from a lot of social issues because he knew it was a minefield in terms of convincing voters to vote conservative uh, and marjorie LeBreton thinks that sort of all of that stuff is is likely starting to slip within the party. As you mentioned, uh, Mercedes, Mar- Marjorie LeBreton's comments on your program on Sunday, super timely, ahead of Friday. Can you give us a snapshot as to just how much more beefed up security looks ahead of Friday and, uh, you know, what are officials anticipating? Well, it's kind of interesting because the police press conference was yesterday and a lot of journalists in Ottawa noticed it sounded like the first police press conference where they weren't that concerned. Um, and that has led to a lot of concerns for the people of Ottawa who uh, were saying before, you know, well, what if this convoy comes? What if they don't leave? And the police were saying, no, 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 you know, they're going to leave. Um, we've been reassured. They wouldn't say this time uh, what the actual conversations have been. Obviously, I think they have learned from the, the, the clearest lesson here, which is, If people have large vehicles and you allow them into an area and you allow them to park, it might be much harder to dispatch that. Um, And it certainly has a a very different effect on the city than, say, people standing in front of Parliament Hill and protesting in that traditional way. Um, You know, the convoy organizers are saying that they're going to be back Canada Day has actually been moved off Parliament Hill for the first time. It's been moved to Le Breton Flats, which is totally walking distance from Parliament Hill. It's not far. Uh, it's where the War Museum is, but it's it's not actually on the hill, so it's going to look very different. It's going to feel very different. Other police forces are coming in to help because there was a real issue with the Ottawa police saying they didn't have enough people, uh, and Ottawa residents saying that the people who were here just simply were not enforcing the laws um, and, and were quite literally looking the other way at times when, you know, protesters were walking up onto the hill with fuel being carried in, in like, little tyke Fisher-Price carts. Uh, they were supposed to be stopping, but it was, was not being stopped, and, and we saw that a number of times when we were out covering it. Um, so I think there's a lot of 
anticipation in, in a negative sort of anticipation and fear in Ottawa uh, about the city being completely disrupted again, about what this is going to look like. Um, at the same time, I think the police have learned not to allow vehicles to park. But remember, at the end of the last protest, it wasn't just downtown. They started talking about slow-rolling schools, uh, and I have notices from schools that were sent to Global News um, saying to parents um, that this was a concern. Obviously, schools are out in the summer. That's not an issue. They, they were talking about slow-rolling the airport. Um, so there are other targets that, that they could decide to make things really inconvenient. But I have a feeling um, the police are going to act very quickly this time. The challenge, again, if big vehicles is tow trucks. Last time, that's part of what the Emergencies Act was used to do, to force tow truck drivers um, to go in and remove those vehicles. They weren't doing so because they either didn't want to in some cases, or in other cases, they said that um, they feared for their businesses or their, their reputations. Um, if they were forced to do that, they could be the you know subject of, of vandalism or threats later. So there's there's a lot of um, a very different kind of feeling in Canada today. People were excited because, you know, it's kind of the first, it's not post-pandemic, but people are gathering in in, in large, large crowds again. Um, and there's sort of this feeling overshadowing it of what else might happen mm. um, this coming weekend and, and how long it will go on for because the message we're getting in Ottawa from these groups is that they're not going away and that they're going to keep coming back and that they're protesting Justin Trudeau, um, which, you know, People may really, really, really like the prime minister. They may really, really, really dislike the prime minister, but he's elected. Mm. Um, he can't really protest democracy. So this could be very interesting. It's, you know, all eyes on the Capitol for, you know, Canada Day generally, but uh, this time up for the wrong reasons. So hopefully everybody stays safe. Thank you so much for your time, Mercedes. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. And, of course, the West Block re-airs right here on 770 CHQR Sunday at 11 a.m. Are your vacation plans being sidelined by inflation and the cost of accommodations? Joining us to discuss the challenges facing the hospitality industry and Banff in particular is Wanda Bogdane, Director of Communications and Stakeholder Engagement with the Banff and Lake Louise Hospitality Association. Good morning to you, Wanda. Good morning, Andy. First of all, am I saying Bogdane correctly? Of course. Oh, good. I want to get that out of the way. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, with, within any work uh, environment, you have conversations with your coworkers. And this kind of was uh, started with a conversation I had seen online, an advertisement, uh, one of the, you know, uh, resort websites or, you know, one of these travel websites that had a, a very modest looking accommodation in the town of Banff, listing the price at $443 a night. And it was not, was not the Banff Springs. Um, mm -hmm. So that uh, sparked our interest. We did a little digging, and the prices seem to be much higher than they used to be. Is that the case, Wanda? Yeah, this is a summer of recovery for us in an industry that was among the worst hit over the last two years. So while we're very pleased to see visitors returning in the volumes that we saw before the pandemic, uh, we understand that there's a number of factors going on that are driving rates. Let's talk about some of these factors. Let's talk about the state of the industry as we move out of the pandemic. What's it like for staffing? What's it like for resources for you? Yeah, what we're seeing is a knock-on effect on labor challenges, you know, and of course, as mentioned, during the summer of recovery. So in addition to the sector's response, you know, to this, there's some other external factors. There's actually quite a bit going on behind the scenes. So exactly, if you could wave the magic wand, uh, what, would, what would you do? What would you like to see? 
We would like to see a stable uh, labor force, not just in tourism, but across all sectors. It's really hitting everyone right now, not just in Alberta, not just BAMP, across Canada and actually around the world. A lot of our destination colleagues, you name it, in Europe and in Asia, they're also seeing the same thing with the labor um, drought, crisis, whatever you'd like to call it. But it really seems like the um, the mix of talent has shifted so much over the last two years across the board that what I'd like to see with the magic wand is that everybody actually can have these issues resolved. When you say the talent, did you see a lot of folks who perhaps made careers in hospitality walk away with these closures and, and simply have not come back to their jobs? Exactly. And when you're the hardest hit industry, it's one of those things where you're subject to what happens with the government restrictions and hospitality and tourism really were. This is what what it looks like when you're the hardest hit because you lose your best people when you have variability to the extent that we had on hours, closure, measures, front of house, back of house. Nobody was left unimpacted in the last couple of years. We had more than 85% of our staff base in spring of 2020 that had to be laid off for for a time. And, you know, a lot of folks just felt um, lack of assurance and and they they moved into some other stable areas at that point. Even though it's a stable workforce during the pandemic, it was really hit hard. How concerned are you that these high prices will keep people from visiting the national park or have you seen a hit? Does it seem like a steady stream of bookings as we move into the months ahead? We believe that we're going to have a strong summer, actually, and and we do need it. So it's particularly true for the small and medium-sized enterprises because those actually make up the overwhelming majority of our tourism businesses. Um, So we do think that the demand is there. There's um, there's no shortage of interest in the parks. There's a lot of pent-up demand from across the country. We're starting to see some American visitors come back, which is nice as well. We're, you know, really excited to actually do what we do best again and host people from long and, uh, you know, in short distances. But, um, you know, it's it's also around issues related to supply chain. Uh, we know that um, tourism is an industry of industries. So every tier of that industry chain is affected right now by supply chain. I know uh, Wanda, and by the way, speaking with Wanda Bogdane, Director of Communications and Stakeholder Engagement with Banff and Lake Louise. I know in particular with Banff, and I also know in, in the Jasper region, the issue not only getting staff, but having accommodations for staff to live if they want to work in, in these hot spots. Is that still an issue in the Banff region, having accommodations for staff? It is for some, not for all. Uh, We're very unique in the fact that there's so many employers that offer amazing housing, try to go to Calgary, try to go to wherever, um, other amazing places, and you just won't see that same offering. But in the National Park, um, there's been a a different scenario created because, of course, we're subject to such unique boundaries and such unique, um, I guess, land use bylaw (laughs) uh, policies as well, so that... Uh, that really does impact housing. We're working with all levels of government and we'll continue to do that as we've done for a number of years to try to tackle this. We know that we need more inventory. We're about 700 units short right now. We were talking obviously about, you know, accommodations and, you know, the in, in my mind, the staffing available uh, to you folks to do your jobs in uh, these accommodations. But I would think also when it comes to food and beverage, you mentioned the supply chain, the prices have gone up and, and uh, somebody has to pay for those higher prices to get things shipped to these restaurants and these hotels. 
inflation's not leaving anyone untouched, that's for sure. Um, food and beverage, if you're looking at it from even construction, actually, like for any of the um, organizations that are doing renovations or upgrades of any kind to try to keep up with pace, even if it's on a sustainability side, you know, construction, food and beverage, all of these different angles have been hit very hard by supply chain and inflation. It's yeah. really, it's across the board. And there's still a lot of product that's uh, unfortunately stuck on container ships right now at ports. Yeah, it is an incredible time. And I think sometimes us city folk think, hey, I'll go to the mountains and get away from it all, but <laughs> nobody is untouched. Uh, no, but there's still a lot of inventory. And, and it's really important to bring it back for all of us to remember that there's, there's, Places for everyone. We need to book early this year if we want to get into those places. So that's my big reminder for everyone because we know how much interest there is in coming to the park. So we're just asking folks whether it's parking, reservations, or campsites, um, you know, any level of hotel, plan very early and just to make sure that you do get what you want. Great reminder, and uh, here's to a productive and successful summer. Thanks for your time, Wanda. Have a great summer. Thank you. You too. That's Wanda Bogdane, Director of Communications and Stakeholder Engagement with BAMP and Lake Louise Hospitality Association. And I'm asking you, we've talked a lot on the program about inflation, about the, the price of gasoline. You know, and, and the last time I filled up, well, yesterday, $1.91 a liter. Is that going to, you know, put the uh, damper on your travel plans? And also, when I, when I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, the hotel I looked at, I know that a couple of short years ago, I believe it was like 139 maybe a... 189 it was listed as 443 dollars for a one-night stay not a not a fancy hotel nothing wrong with it um, you know but are these the kind of things have you, have you done your research do you know how much it's going to cost to do something that maybe you do annually could upcycled food and products have a positive environmental impact joining us to explain is john dushinsky executive vice president and thesis provision Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Andy. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. Well, this is a new term to me, so I'm hoping you can explain to us what the heck upcycled food is. Well, yeah, Andy, and you would be um, in good company because only about 15% of Canadian consumers in some recent research that we carried out with the University of Dalhousie have heard about upcycled food. So let me explain it. Upcycled food uses ingredients that otherwise would not have gone to human consumption. So I'll give you an example. You may be sitting there this morning with a, a cup of uh, cup of coffee, maybe a, a glass of orange juice. Um, and uh, think about sort of taking that orange and pressing it to get the juice out. What you're left with is the, the pulp. Mm-hmm. And you're left with the, the, the skin of this orange. Now, most of us will throw those away, or maybe they'll go in the compost bin. But actually, there's a huge amount of quantity of nutrients in that orange And if we could just capture that, then you could turn those into all sorts of other products, um, some of which you could eat. Um, You could then turn them into maybe other cleaning products. But it's about sort of saying, what can we do with this food rather than throwing it away? Because half of the food that we produce in this country, Andy, goes in the bin. And it's not just at consumers, not just in our homes, but it's all through the food system. So we have to do something about that. So when we put a John in the compost, that's the end uh, period of its life cycle. That's it. If we can take it and upcycle it and give it new life, 
That is fantastic. I think we'd all agree on that. We're stretching things out that we've already used to a large extent. Uh, but I'm wondering, you know, you know, you say I'm one of the 15%. I'm, I'm not in that group of 15% of Canadians who, who perhaps know what this means. What about businesses? Are businesses getting on board? Well, businesses are getting on board. This is why it's getting really exciting. We're seeing companies all through the food system. So the companies that make the food that we go and buy in the grocery stores, they're starting to look at this really seriously for some of the reasons that you just talked about in that business report, that getting uh, um, the, the food industry pressures, the inflation and other things, it's putting a real strain on our food system. So, um, for example, we've worked recently with a, a company that makes tofu, um, great, great food tofu. Um, but as you press the soya beans, there's a, a byproduct of this that's called okara. Um, and that okara was really going to waste. But now um, these companies um, are developing new ways to put okara back into the food chain. So you can go to the, the grocery store today and buy products. You can buy noodles that are made of okara. You can buy baked goods that are made of okara. And so this thing that was being, this product that was being literally thrown away, this okara is now being used in everyday goods and services and products that we're buying in grocery stores. And that's how this revolution, this renaissance, if you like, of food is really taking shape. How are we as a nation compared to other nations working toward, you know, a, you know an industry for upcycled food? Well, we're just beginning here in Canada. Um, Europe has got a little bit of a head start on us. For example, there are companies out there who take uh, coffee grounds um, from your morning cup of coffee, and they'll turn those into healthy snack bars. Um, so there's, it, it's really, you know, it's really, Andy, about a mindset. It's about not looking at the things that we throw away as waste, but seeing them as ingredients and saying, you know, what can we do with these? And that's for companies to do that, but it's also for us, at individual level in our own homes to do that too. Is what can we be doing with these things rather than just throwing them away and seeing this as waste? Well, what more life could we give to these uh, these byproducts, if you like, of the way that we make our food? The timing with uh, all that's happening in the world, the economy, perhaps perfect. Thanks for your time this morning, John. Well, thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. That is uh, John Dushinsky, Executive Vice President and Thesis Provision. More online about what he does provisioncoalition.com. Mike Yanni, the gadget guy, he's dancing right now. He's got those moves like Jagger. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning. It's hard not to dance, though. You like that. I know. (laughs) I've got a mental picture. Hey, you're here to tell us the heavyweights like Apple and Samsung perhaps have to move it on over to make some space for the new guy. Let's talk about the new guy. Is it, you say nothing phone. Is it called that or are you calling it the nothing phone? So the, the company is called Nothing, and there's a good chance you've never heard of this company before because it seems to have come out of nowhere. But about a year ago, Nothing released some. They looked like AirPods, and they were semi-transparent, so you can actually see the internals of it. And it did fairly well, but the company owner says the smartphone market has become boring. There needs to be some new innovation. So Nothing is about to release the Phone One. Mm-hmm. That's what they're calling it, the Nothing Phone One. So the idea of the phone is it's, once again, partially transparent. You can see some of the internals. And there's about 900 customizable LED lights on the back of this phone. And you can completely customize them. So if you have certain uh, notifications that you want, they can flash in different patterns. They'll go uh, flash to different ringtones and things like that. 
But the thing is, this is the definition of hype train. This is viral marketing at its best. The phone is actually um, pretty moderate specs. It's not exactly a high-end phone, but what they might have going for them is the phone is expected to be under $1,000. But the owner has done such a good job at hyping this up that the pre-release models, they put 100 on the market, and they're selling for thousands of dollars each. There's so much hype behind this phone. It'll be interesting to see if it does well if it falls flat. I should point out, though, this first model, not expected to hit North America. The owner says it will come to Canada and the U.S., just not right away. Well, it's interesting. It's nice to have competition, but yeah, I guess we'll see it when we have the opportunity to get our hands on it. I know you review a lot of these things, so hopefully you'll get that chance when it does reach Canada. I want to talk about this because it's summertime. We like to get outdoors and we know the importance of slathering up with sunscreen, uh, you know, when we're getting outdoors. But now you're here to tell us something incredibly interesting when it comes to our computer screens and sunscreen. Yeah, you know, if you need an excuse to spend less time on your electronics this summer, this or even in the winter, this could be it. New studies are starting to come out, and we know that blue light is admitted from our smartphones and TVs and computer screens, and we've heard that it's damaging to your eyes over long periods of time. These new studies are now showing that blue light could be damaging our skin, just like the sun's UV light. Uh, The scary thing is sunscreen doesn't protect you from it. So there are some uh, some of the pharmaceutical companies, uh, some of the cosmetic companies are starting to develop these uh, skincare uh, products and lotions that can actually block UV light. But the studies are showing that it damages collagen in your face, uh, leads to uneven pigmentation in your skin, and also contributes to photo aging, uh, such as wrinkles uh, over time. So. Interesting. These, I mean, don't hit the alert button just yet. These are still early studies, uh, but certainly this is on the radar now on whether or not we do have to protect ourselves, not just our eyes, but our skin as well. If you're spending hours upon hours on your screen every day, and, you know, sadly, a lot of us do now. Just think Copper Tones uh, licking their chops going, hey, listen, we can make some more bucks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not just for uh, vacations and uh, summer months. Thank you so much for your time, Mike, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, too. That is the Gadget Guy, Mike Yanni. Of course, you can find him on uh, social media, at Gadget Guy Mike. And on YouTube, you'll want to search his channel, Gadget Guy Mike Yanni. Lots of goodies, lots of uh, product reviews online with Gadget Guy Mike Yanni. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.